0: We uncovered evidence of a police investigation in the 1930s at Keeper Island School, where they interviewed dozens and dozens of children who had been sexually abused. That ended up going nowhere. The Catholic Church knew about it, the Department of Indian Affairs knew about it, the Attorney General in British Columbia knew about it, and yet no one ended up being charged. The abuse continued, and, and it's disturbing and shocking to find out that These things could have been prevented. That's Duncan McHugh. He's one of Canada's
1: leading investigative journalists. He's the host and creator of the CBC podcast series, Cooper Island, and he's a proud member of the Chippewas of Georgina Island First Nation. He's our guest today on the Akamemok Podcast. Danse, Tawau, and welcome to the Akamemok Podcast. I'm your host, Chief Perry Bellegarde, former National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for perseverance. In other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders and community leaders. And today, we're very pleased to welcome Duncan McHugh. His podcast, Cooper Island, is making best of lists for 2022 across Canada and beyond. Cooper Island is the thoughtful, thoughtful, devastating and carefully reported story of one of Canada's most notorious Indian residential schools. The eight-part CBC podcast series gives First Nation survivor accounts and tells the stories of those who didn't survive and the men and the women who carried out decades of systematic abuse against First Nations children there. Before we get started, I want to let you know this interview does discuss the abuse of children and may be triggering for some listeners. And a reminder that a National Indian Residential School crisis line has been set up to provide support for former students and those affected. People can access emotional and crisis referral services 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by calling 1-866-925-4419. Mr. Duncan McHugh. Welcome to the Akamamath podcast.
0: Oh, Neem Perry. Don't say. Good, good, good. Yeah, a little bit of Cree, a little bit of Ojibwe. That's awesome. <laughs> So this is a bit uncomfortable for me because uh, we're turning the tables here. I'm I'm used to grilling you. Uh, <laughs> I, and I have had the opportunity to grill you on a, a number of occasions, uh, wearing my CBC hat uh, yeah. when you were national chief. And and now I'm a little worried that you're going to take a, a piece of flesh out of me and uh, no, no, turn the is, tables. this is
1: all kind. And I wouldn't use the word grilling. It's just a simple dialogue <laughs> for education awareness leads to understanding, will <laughs> lead to action, Duncan.
0: So, all right, okay. Well, as long as you're not trying to, to get back at me for all those tough questions, I asked.
1: No, no, Duncan, this is going to be good. We are dealing with a pretty sensitive topic though. And of course, that's. I, and, and I'm,
0: I'm, I'm glad you had the, uh, the trigger warning at the beginning there because, uh, this is for our people, this, this can be a difficult subject matter. So, yeah. so yeah. Yeah.
1: So in Canada, uh, there are 130 residential schools yeah. and out of all those schools, what was it about Cooper Island that made you decide that this was the school whose story hmm. you're going to tell?
0: Yeah. So, so let me take you back, Perry, uh, in the, in the summer of, uh, 21, uh, when, when after the announcement at the loops, uh, yeah. CBC approached me and said, uh, we would like to do a podcast on residential schools. Uh, and, and that made sense to me mm-hmm. because there were so many people that summer, so many Canadians who were, hungry for information about, about the missing children, about deaths at the schools, just about residential schools, period. There were, there are still, unfortunately, as you know, a lot of Canadians who don't know that full history. Hmm. A lot of people are now getting their, their, uh, their information, uh, their history from podcasts. And if you looked in it, but it's a fairly new medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you look into the podcast space, there isn't a lot of, of, uh, content about, uh, residential schools. So there are, there have been mo- uh, movies, uh, you know, songs, books, uh, nonfiction, fiction. Uh, there's of course the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. There are lots of places for people to learn about residential schools in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you look at the podcast space, there wasn't much in terms of content uh, about t- teaching people about about this past. So I said, "Great, uh, I, I would." I think it's a it's an excellent idea to to do this podcast uh, for CBC on residential schools. Um, and then the question was the the question that I've I've wrestled with and struggled with my whole journalism career. Perry was, was how do we tell a story that people will consume? Like, Mm -hmm. like so many Canadians say they don't know about this. It's not for lack of information, uh, for some, and, and so for journalists, I often talk about the need to start paying more attention to the way we tell the story. If we're telling the story in the same old way all the time, Mm -hmm. then people aren't listening to us. They're tuning us out. So, uh, when we sat down producers uh, Martha Troyan who's Nishnabe mm-hmm. uh, and Jody Martinson um, and and I sat down and said how are we going to tell this this podcast in a way that will people will will tune in and listen Uh, we decided the best way to do that was through one school. We couldn't tell the whole history Mm -hmm. of residential schools, 150, you know, over a hundred year history. Uh, it, it was just too, too much, too daunting. And so we, we decided to tell it through one school. And of course I reported in British Columbia for over 20 years. Um, and I did a lot of my, my residential school reporting there. And I'd heard a lot about Cooper Island, Perry. Yeah. Um, it, you know, Cooper Island had a reputation. It was, it was one of the, one of the bad ones and and not that any of the schools were good, but there were some awful things that I had heard from survivors of the school. Um, and I was also aware that, uh, the community of Penelicate had started ground pen, penetrating radar, mm-hmm. uh, long before, you know, this made the headline in 2021, they had been at this, they, they, they knew, uh, of, uh, missing children and unmarked graves and they had started GPR work. And Mm. so we approached the community of Penelicate and, uh, and actually initially, Perry, we were rebuffed. Um, chief and council said, uh, I think you should probably move on. Um, but, uh, I, when they announced that there were, uh, 160 unmarked graves in the community, Um, I, I, th- I thought, you know what, I'd, I'd really like to, to give it a shot. And, and I asked the the elders committee, mm-hmm. uh, for an audience. So, uh, to, to explain the podcast and, um, and I said, this is an important story that not many people know about, about this little tiny Island in the Salish Sea that children were trying to escape from. Yeah. Like, you know, children have escaped, escaped from, from all of the schools. That's not a new story. But I gotta you know remind your listeners, this is an island in the Salish Sea that children were trying to get away from, right exactly. and and uh you know, what was it that was so bad about that place, and so that's how we ended up there. even sometimes they call it Alcatraz mm-hmm. that's right the survivors. The survivors now refer refer to it as Alcatraz, because yeah. you know, like the island in in the u s the prison exactly. so with all your research, what did you learn that you weren't expecting to learn?
1: and maybe something did you learn something that you already didn't know about residential schools and their impact on our people?
0: Oh, Perry, I I mean, you've met so many survivors in in your role as national chief and 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 as have I in my role as a as a, a national reporter for CBC. I've I've talked with an awful lot of survivors and heard a lot of survivor stories. Mm-hmm. Um it it never ceases to amaze me. Um uh, how bad the treatment of of children got at, at the schools, and and so you know, I I was prepared and ready to to hear disturbing stories, but to hear uh, a you know uh, to hear a sixty year old man uh, talk, Perry about about witnessing, a boy, being being forced to witness a boy at the school hanging, mm. to be being beaten. Uh, you know because uh, he, he he wanted to look away um, th- to to hear about the sexual abuse um in such graphic detail uh it's always shocking uh it, it's always disturbing yeah. but I'll also say this we had an opportunity um in this podcast to spend several months with the, with the community of Penelicate and do a really deep dive into the archives. And the other thing that's, that really struck out, uh, stuck out for me, Perry was Canadians knew about all of this Canadians knew, you know, we, many people now know about Dr. Peter Bryce and the mm-hmm. warnings that he gave in, in the early 1900s about the health, uh, uh at, at residential schools. But we uncovered evidence, uh, of, you know, a police investigation uh, in the uh, 1930s at the Keeper Island School, which exposed, you know, which they, where they interviewed uh, dozens and dozens of children who had been sexually abused, mm-hmm. um, and that ended up going nowhere. You know, the the uh, the Catholic Church knew about it, the Department of Indian Affairs knew about it, the Attorney General in British Columbia knew about it, and yet no one ended up being charged um and uh you know two officials were m- removed from the school but it was all documented uh and mm-hmm. yet the abuse continued and and it's disturbing and shocking to find out that these thing these um these things could have been prevented Perry yeah. they they really if if people had acted if the officials had acted at the time with the care and concern that they that they said in paper that they had for the children then then perhaps we wouldn't have seen generations upon generations of children being being uh, abused and mistreated,
1: yeah, things just continued, even though people the authorities knew about it, but things mm-hmm. just perpetuated mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. It's almost uh you know like even at Cooper Island, forty percent of the kids that went there died, mm-hmm. you know, four mm-hmm. out of ten mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
0: In those early days. In yes. those
1: early days. Yeah. Yes. So with people listening to this podcast now, and I always say that education awareness leads to understanding, will lead to action. Mm-hmm. But what do you want listeners to do with what you brought together in this series from Cooper Island? Like what do you think should be one of the main outcomes and takeaways? Or what do you want people to start
0: thinking and doing about this with this information you've presented? First and foremost, we just hope they would listen perry uh, and and and, like i said i uh, having been at this, I was there for the national apology yeah. uh, i and covered it for the cBC I was there for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh you know over five years yeah. uh, and 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 covered that both the the opening the the uh, the national events, the final report. Um, I have seen, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are too many Canadians, uh, are tuning out this history. And so <laughs> trying to get people to listen, uh, was, was the, the number one goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am very pleased to say that people have, I mean, we've had well over a million and a half downloads uh, from around the world um, of the Cooper Island podcast. And, and so people are listening and they've, and they're moved and, and, and that, I mean, as a storyteller, that's all I can ask. Um, But I was very deliberate in the, in the, the spoiler alert, I'll give you the final line. I mean, what, what I said was uh, telling this story was my responsibility now that you've heard it, it's yours. That was the final line in, in the podcast. And what I was kind of, tro- the, the notion that I was, was saying is once you've heard this, and, I, and, and, I, and I'm hearkening back to, to smart words written by Thomas King, mm-hmm. uh, but, but once you've heard this story, you can't say that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And you've got to do something. Whether that means we had we had many listeners uh, you know, moved by the story of Richard, uh, yeah. that was shared by uh, her his uh, sister. Uh, Belvy Breber, mm-hmm. um, I had s- several listeners who sent me a copy of the book that uh, Richard was published in because his family didn 't have uh, didn 't have a copy of the book that his stories had been published in, and so I just actually sent off a, a, a copy of the book to to um, to uh so that she 'll have a copy so that was a nice gesture that 's a nice personal gesture of reaching out to to help Belvie. but you know, there there are ways that uh, listeners, when they know this history, can act in in their own communities. To build bridges with First Nations, you know whether it is uh, in in whatever walk of life they're in. If they're teachers, then then they can uh, they can help by educating their students about mm-hmm. First Nations history, uh, about sharing uh, Indigenous authors uh, with their students. If you're in a small community uh, and you have a book club, maybe have an Indigenous authors uh, book club. If you uh, you know if you like uh, listening to music. Music. Then find some indigenous musicians and put them on your your playlist. Mm. Uh, if you you know if you want to learn more, then start following some indigenous journalists and reading indigenous news on a daily basis. These are all ways that you can start to learn about indigenous people in the here and now and the issues that 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 we face, the stories that we tell, uh, and our dreams and aspirations for the future. It's not just about you know pitying what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. It's got to be about how we move forward as a country and how, how Canadians, and you asked about listeners, how listeners can help uphold uh, our youth of tomorrow so that they can, uh, you know, resume uh, their rightful place that our ancestors had uh, in this country. Yeah
1: we've got a shared history and a shared past, but more importantly, we've got a shared future together as people, mm-hmm, as people mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. getting people to listen is always the first step. There's no question. And, and, uh, I used to always point out like people talk about this thing called intergenerational trauma, yes. you know, of residential schools. And yes. all we got to do is look at the, uh, uh, the evidence of that by yeah. 40%, uh, kids are in foster care, our first nations kids. You know, yep. look at the, we're 5% of Canada's population, but the jails are full of our men and women, first nations, men and women, the poverty rate, the homelessness rate, the alcohol and drug abuse. And it's like people, we always say we're, we're self-medicating because of this trauma because mm-hmm. what all the abuse they suffer through these schools, you know, and like the, the starvation, the abuse, the, the cultural deprivation, being away from families. You're not healthy when you come out of those institutions, if you mm-hmm. survive. And so Mm -hmm. you're expected to raise these families. So even talking about it.
0: But, but to, to go back about, about listeners, I mean, I guess for, for, for non-Indigenous listeners, I what, what concerns me is when they express pity or, or guilt Mm -hmm. because that doesn't, that doesn't help. I mean, it's, I understand that, that empathy that people feel uh, when they hear survivor stories. But they have to take action. They have to to, to to take next steps. And that can be as easy as supporting local uh, First Nations artists mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, when it comes to ballot box time, you know, asking your political, your MP or your MLA, you know, what they're doing about Indigenous issues today.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You know, supporting C91, the language revitalization bill, or C92, the child welfare mm. bill, you know, exerting First Nations mm. control. All those things can happen. But I want to come back. Because you mentioned uh, Richard Thomas. Yes. And he was a student at Cooper Island. Mm -hmm. And Richard was a student that was found and he he was hanged to death in his final weeks of school at Cooper Island. Now his story, you talk about and you weave him throughout your series. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What about his story struck you the most? And, you know, like like what stuck out? Like you mentioned his sister, Belvie Breber. Yes. And, uh. You know, and I listened, and I listened to Philip Joe. You know, who was a mm-hmm. student that witnessed uh, this it this young yeah. boy hanging. That was the,
0: the man I was referring to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, tell us about that.
0: You know, when we when we got first got to Peneliket, uh, we were there to to talk about the missing children and unmarked graves, and uh, there are survivors who know of places where there are children buried on the island. Um, but this story uh, kept coming up people kept telling us about this boy that had had, had been found hanging in the mm-hmm. gym and we heard it from uh, from from James and Tony Charlie the the first day that they toured me around which is in in the first podcast the first episode yeah. uh, but then we just heard it over and over again this the, the, how they they had so many questions about how he ended up uh, hanging there in the gym and the way that that uh, the 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 brothers the oblate brothers uh, had treated that incident and 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 it, so many people had had uh, told us that they they, they had witnessed uh, or that there were there were accounts of of the children having to witness this and we just thought we have to find out more about this boy uh, because it was it seemed like an awful death mm-hmm. um, but as soon as we uh, heard from Belve and, and she she shared that she had had this conversation with him only days before his passing, where he had said, I can't wait to get out of this hellhole. I, I would just want to tell everything. Um, and then, you know, there was this abrupt end to the phone call. And then days later, he's dead. Um, we, we needed to find out more. But more importantly, Perry, what I really wanted to do was, was try to find out you know so many people knew about richard thomas because of his death in the community you know yeah. that was that was what they remembered about richard thomas but we wanted to share with our listeners who this boy was. I mean, that the, the, they wouldn't, that he wouldn't just be remembered for this awful and tragic death, but that he, people would know that he was a writer. You know, mm-hmm. the, this remarkable 14, 15 year old boy at a residential school who's writing these and published in uh, these beautiful legends that he had been told by his father. Yeah. You know, legends about the creation of his people, the Halal tribe. Um, legends about deer. Uh, you know, th- this, this is a, this was a remarkably smart, uh, young man who, uh, had, you know, dreams and aspirations of being a priest, um, which at that time was considered to be, you know, an esteemed profession. We wanted to, to try to, to give people a sense of who this boy was, that he wasn't just a tragic death, but, but that he was loved. Uh, he was he was loved and mourned and, and the impact that that had on his family uh, when he died uh, at, at the, the young age of 16. Yeah,
1: that, that is a very powerful, powerful story throughout mm. your uh, throughout your series. Mm. I couldn't stop listening. It was so intriguing and so, so impactful.
0: You know, I think I, I that the, the really difficult thing for us, Perry, uh, you mentioned, you know, that uh, it's an investigative journalist podcast. And of course, the, we, we centered purposefully the stories of survivors because so often they have not been heard in the past and they needed to be. Um, but, you know, we also needed to practice uh, solid journalism and make sure that, that we, um, you know, that, that everything that we put out in the podcast was evidence based and, um, and, and was sourced and trying to dig in to what happened to him. Uh, it became very difficult you know in, in terms of the official record uh, what the police uncovered uh, and um, and the story that the Oblates told uh, which you know had very large holes in it uh, compared yeah. to the the accounts that the that the children remembered but then when you're talking about survivors stories you also have to remember that they were young they were children and they yeah. were traumatized and trauma, uh, you know the way that the psychologists tell us that trauma impacts the way that we mem- uh, we remember things. It, you know, our brain tries to protect itself, and those young brains were trying to protect themselves, and and in many ways uh, they've been trying to forget what they witnessed and and experienced ever since. And so, trying to to find the truth uh, in all of this, Perry was was uh, it was it was a challenging and difficult exercise. I got to say, yeah. Now,
1: in all your discussion, you've talked to a lot of survivors, and, and we hear that in Can- in Canada now we talk about here all this this big reconciliation. Mm. What do you think healing and reconciliation will look like for survivors from your perspective? Now that you've done all of this reporting and investigative journalism work going into Cooper Island.
0: Oh, that's for survivors to answer, not me. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I mean, uh, it, it's it's really important that we hear the survivors when it comes to what they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that there are many people who have different answers to that. You know, there are there are people, um, and 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 there's a reason. Uh, you know, having the 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 common experience payments. Um, and, and financial settlements is is just one small piece of, of the puzzle in trying to figure out how to move forward um, I think there are lots of survivors who still uh, need access to, to therapy and um, and healing work uh, there are still um, families who, who who don't have access uh, to the kind of of. Of counseling and, and therapy that they need for for years of intergenerational trauma, um, and so I think that uh, is is important. But but the th- one thing that really stood out for me this the uh, from the summer of twenty twenty one Perry, and and it, it wasn't being talked about enough. I mean, certainly the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, made recommendations about this, but but I think I think uh, last summer really brought to the fore the fact. That every community where there is a school needs and wants to have some kind of memorial, some kind of marker, Mm -hmm. some kind of place that they can say... There were, the, our children came here and they didn't come home. They died here yeah. or they died shortly after they left this place. And we need to have a place to, 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 to remember them. You know, mm-hmm. we need to have a place where we can go and put down Sema and, and, or, or say prayers and have ceremony and, and remember those children so that they are good on the other side. Right. Because some yeah. of, some of those spirits, as we heard from Penelicate, some of those spirits on the other side are still in pain. Right. Yeah. And so we need a place. Uh, unfortunately in, in you know in, in, where sc- schools were, were knocked down and burned to the ground um, people people don't have a place to go and mourn those and remember those those children those little spirits that are lost and so I think that's something that uh, I really realized uh, working with the community of Peneliket is how important it is to have that physical memorial for for that for for mm-hmm. those children so that the community of today has a place that they can they can gather on on October thirty first or on the children's birthdays or whatever it may be and say we remember you in our hearts
1: yeah. Like on, on September 30th. Mm, September 30th. Yeah. September 30th, yeah. yeah. On the national day. October
0: 4th. 31st is, is uh, Halloween. Maybe yeah. uh, that might not be the right place to be. To, to be <laughs> Could on be,
1: Halloween. yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a slip there, but that's fine, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> September 30th is national day of reconciliation. Yes. And and then there's that other line that, well, reconciliation should be 365 days a year, not just one day to remember some of the, mm. the travesties and impacts from residential schools. But mm. yeah, that whole place about having a, a physical memorial at, at these 130 plus sites across Canada, mm. uh, where these residential schools, uh, were erected and, and some people don't even call them schools, you know, mm-hmm. they're institutions. Mm-hmm. And, but the need for ceremony, the need for remembering, the need for cleansing, the need for healing, the need for honoring, uh, our relatives that attended those schools and some of them didn't make it home. So mm-hmm. that, that's a really good point to, to, for our listeners to embrace. Mm-hmm. And, um, I want to ask now, um, you're an Anishinaabe, you're an mm-hmm. Anishinaabe man. I'm a Nehewa Cree Nakota person from Black Bear, and you're from Virginia Island. And as Indigenous people, as First Nations person, when you're doing this investigative reporting, hmm. what was it like as a, as a First Nations person doing this? Like This is our people, but what was it like for you as, a, as the reporter going forward?
0: Oh, a couple of things, Perry. I mean, I feel a responsibility as an indigenous journalist to to try to do this work in a good way. And and when, when I say that to you, you know what I mean. You know, to to, to do this in a, in a good way. Um, but but so many. Uh, in our profession, uh, journalism and and the mainstream media in particular, uh, have not treated our people well in the past. Um, You know, whether it has been just ignoring them uh, in many cases, uh within, and i think now of, of our, our missing and murdered uh sisters you know uh who have been so often ignored by the mainstream media or treating them badly uh when they do engage uh you know treating them uh through uh through the the lens of of uh you know, supposedly objective journalism, but unfortunately, a, a journalism that is is biased uh, and contains stereotypes, and and um, so I'm aware of mm-hmm. of this kind of fraught history, this, this 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 poor relationship between between journalists and and our communities, and um, I'm also aware that that outsiders have been coming into communities like Penelicate and taking their stories away for, for a couple hundred years now. <laughs> um, and, and it hasn't always worked out very well. It's been theft in many instances. And so mm-hmm. I'm conscious of that as well. I'm, I am an outsider coming into Penelicate. Yes, I'm Anishinaabe, but I'm not, I'm not a whole community. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm aware that I'm asking for, uh, a, a very large, uh, a very large commitment, uh, and, and, um, Uh, A lot of trust. So what I as an indigenous journalist I've tried to do things in ways that that will start to 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 change that that relationship and and I call it decolonizing journalism when we know we pay attention to uh, the trauma that that the, that the survivors went through and and give them an opportunity to tell their story in a way that they feel that they have control over rather than me firing you know these intense questions that may trigger them and and leave them uh, in a mess after I, after I leave, uh, I'd like it to be a, something that helps in their healing, if, if at all possible. And I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a counselor and none of those things, but I, I do feel uh, a duty and a responsibility as an Indigenous journalist to try my best to honor their story uh, and, and to, to, uh, to help them. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in as be, as best a way as I can, and and so that's a that's a heavy heavy duty and responsibility, Perry, as as an indigenous yeah. uh, journalist that 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 we when when all of us uh, and there and fortunately there are a lot more indigenous journalists now than when I first started. Um, we all feel when 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 uh, when we go and cover these events. You've
1: done it in a really good way, in a sensitive way, in an understanding way. And that's that's a good thing. At least you mm. have that grounding and sensitivity there. Mm. Okay. You've got a book that's out already called Decolonizing Journalism, A Guide to Reporting in Indigenous Communities. And uh you just made some really positive, strong comments about how you don't want Uh, when people come in, reporters come into communities, they sometimes steal the intellectual property or Mm -hmm. their stories without doing things in a respectful way. Mm -hmm. So in your book, how are you using some of the teachings uh in that book, your writings, because you work at CBC? Yes, I do. And and uh some will say it needs to help uh move towards the dec- decolonizing and everything else as well at CBC. Yes, it but... does. I I will <laughs>
0: be one of those people that'll say that, Perry.
1: <laughs> so how are you using your teachings in your book to 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 work at CBC and bring about some change within that institution?
0: Yeah, so so the the you know, the book came about uh uh, because, oh, well over, uh, 10, I've been at this a long time, Perry, holy cow. Uh, with 10, 15 years ago, uh, we, I was at one of these in, interminable meetings at the CBC, uh, where, you know, uh, managers were sitting around saying, "How can we do a better job of covering Indigenous communities?" Uh, it's not for lack of conversation uh, that that we that that the CBC. You know, there've there been plenty of meetings <laughs> about uh, how to do a better job and and improve the the quantity and the quality. Um, but but you know, it was just one more meeting, and and but it dawned on me that one of the reasons that uh, that that you know, these stereotypes exist in the media uh, when it came to to, to my own uh, employer, the CBC, had to do with the fact that non-Indigenous journalists just felt uncomfortable. They, they felt uncomfortable heading out into First Nation communities. They hadn't had experience, uh, you know, necessarily in some of the in, in those isolated uh, reserves. Uh, or up north, if they were reporting in the north, uh, they didn't necessarily feel that they were fully equipped when it came to the history or, or the law in this country. When it came to First Nations issues, and so I, uh, they were saying we need to have some kind of resource to help our journalists, you know, on the ground, um, learn the, the tips and tools for 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 working with with Indigenous. Uh, communities. So I put together an online guide called RIIC.ca, uh, Reporting in Indigenous Communities, um, uh, when I was on a Stanford fellowship. And, you know, the the idea is it's pretty straightforward from from my perspective. It's about going into a place and, and acting with respect. But, mm-hmm. but so often, unfortunately, uh, are, are people... Uh, have not been treated with respect by the media. You know, the media has said, "I'm on deadline," and and you know they they cut off elders when they're speaking, or they 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 don't they don't um, you know they they don't take the time to to sit and have a cup of tea beforehand, which is of course mm-hmm. something that you you and I would do if we were going to go and ask an elder for their time. Um, you know, that's just one small example. Um, but, but you know they, they they take pictures of a sacred fire when it's very clear uh, that the, the the firekeeper is saying no this is not something that is appropriate in our uh, in our customs there, there there are a myriad of, of times over the course uh, of an interaction where mainstream uh, journalists have just uh, you know not uh, they, they've acted with ways that they feel are appropriate for, for, uh, for journalists to act, but that aren't culturally appropriate. Uh, in our communities, and so uh, what I've tried to do with this with this textbook, decolonizing journalism, is help the next generation of mm-hmm. journalists, the ones that at res, uh, that are at journalism school now. Because as we know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission said in in Call to Action 86 that we need to do a better job at journalism schools teaching the next generation about indigenous issues. What I've tried to do is is say there are ways that you can adapt your practice and get a cultural competency for dealing for working with this community that you know you're going to be covering you know if you're in regina that you're going to be telling whether you're a sports reporter an arts reporter or a news reporter you're going to be telling indigenous stories and you need to have a basic understanding of the people in your own backyard if you're going to go and operate in that, in that community. So that's what the book is about. It's, 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 uh, you know, lessons and, and, uh, resources, uh, for journalism students primarily, but I'm getting a lot of interest from working journalists cause they know, um, they, they want to improve, uh, at, at the way they do this as well. And, and, um, and, and so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that, that, uh, you know, the advice that I've given, and then I've also spoken with, uh, Nine of the leading journalists, Indigenous journalists in, in Turtle Island, uh, you know mm-hmm. Tanya Talaga, Connie, Connie Walker from Saskatchewan. Yes, yeah, my uh, cousin. M- yeah, Mar- Larry, go Connie Walker, your cousin. Uh, that's why I spoke with her, because she's your cousin. Of course. <laughs> <Yeah. it's laughs> no, I'm joking. Cousin. She's, she's my she's, cousin she's, from Oakland, She's yes. my friend, and she's an outstanding journalist You know, yeah. with an amazing podcast. But Mirelda uh, Fiddler, Fiddler-Potter, uh, also from Saskatchewan, uh, is in the book sharing their wisdom uh, of the lessons they've learned over the years.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, uh, again, thank you for putting the book out. Mm. And uh, again, for your, your work and your research, your investigative reporting on Cooper Island and your book, like you're, you're, you're helping to really make a big difference in, in in how people view Canada and the history between the residential schools and the impact it had on our people, on First mm. Nations people. Um, before I get to my last question about hope, I always ask people about hope. Mm. You know, we just finished talking about Cooper Island are the residential schools. And I have always said that it was a genocide of our people. Mm-hmm. I think the TRC commissioners called a cultural genocide. I've, I've, I've called it a genocide because mm-hmm. it does meet the definition of genocide according to the UN, uh, standards conventions and, uh, in terms of definition of what genocide is, you know, mm-hmm. forcibly removing children from their territories, inflicting pain and harm on that, on that community. So it does meet that. What would you say to that statement in terms of the residential schools and what kind of impact it was in terms of uh, uh, First Nations people, the impact that it had on our people? You talked about intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. You've, you've talked, to, like there's 130 of them in Canada. It's a, a shared past, shared history, but we have a shared future. But the impact of those schools- mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that in terms of a cultural genocide genocide impacts
0: you know the you talk about intergenerational Perry and and I think that to me was was one of the really important uh, things that we dealt with in the podcast was was trying to show uh, how children and grandchildren of survivors have been impacted uh, because it it um, as, as one of the the uh, Belvi's son put it. You know, it's it's one thing to understand that 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 his mom had been abused by priests mm-hmm. and nuns, but it's an, it's it's a different thing to wrap your head around when the survivors end up abusing their own children. Um, and and that uh, you know the, the whether. In some cases, uh, you know, there there were, and and the Charlie family so bravely shared their story. Uh, James so bravely stood up and was accountable for the the kind of pain that he uh, inflicted upon his uh, sons, mm-hmm. and how that filtered down to to the to the grandchildren. Um, these, these uh, you know. Justice Murray Sinclair has, as, as often said, it took us several generations to get into this mess, and it'll take us several generations to get out. Um, and, and I do think that the it's it's important that Canadians understand. Uh, the the intergenerational impacts, uh, 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 how it you know it's still reverberating. You 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 talked about uh, the jails, um, and and the dropout rates, for example, how that's still reverberating. But I also think that that our own people uh, need to come to terms with that. You know, mm-hmm. our own people need uh, the children need to understand what it is that their parents and grandparents went through. Uh, to explain the current and and sometimes they don't that, 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 that's why in the podcast I addressed indigenous listeners and non-indigenous listeners and so often it's been silence uh, in our in our in our families. About these awful things that happened at the schools, because of the trauma, because uh, you know it's it's not unlike soldiers having suffered shell shock, they don't want to talk about it, but that leaves the children and grandchildren angry and upset with how they've been treated. By their own family and not knowing and not understanding why you know maybe mm. maybe kind of intellectually understanding, yeah I understand that that grand grandma went to residential school, but I don't understand you know why she can't say I love you you know mm. um, and and so these we, we have our own reckonings within our families that we need to go through as well uh, as we try to you know, to heal and, and, um, and, and be able to share these stories.
1: Yeah. It's like a lot of times, uh, our old people, our elders used to always say, no, some grandson, you need two systems of education now mm-hmm. to survive going forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they would talk about the importance of kindergarten to grade 12 and math and science, literacy and numeracy, then onto university and tech folk training on one hand, but equally important on the other hand, are your languages and your ceremonies, your traditions, to know, know who you are yep. and where you come from? So, and,
0: and you know, so so my uh, father uh, didn't go to to residential school. My my uh, my grandfather and grandmother, my uh uh didn't didn't go to to residential school either, but they were they were fluent speakers. Um, and I'm not, you know, within one generation, the language was lost and, and this is all uh, as a result of, of what was happening at the residential school, the, you know, the indoctrination that, that mm-hmm. the students were experiencing there. And, and, um, and that's the hole in my heart, Perry, like, like when I hear you speak in the language, I, I just think to myself, uh, boy, I, I you know, one day, one day, maybe I'll get there. Uh, I am, I've, I've returned to you know I, as an adult uh i've i'm mm-hmm. i'm taking evening classes studying one, but but uh this 51 year old brain doesn't uh, doesn't work quite uh, as as well as as it used to in terms of of <laughs> retaining the language you know okay. uh i i don't i don't speak a whole lot but i'm learning mm-hmm. um you know I, i'm doing my best
1: well, you know, I think that's. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm
0: learning Cree. I
1: speak a little bit Cree too, but I didn't grow up with it either. Mm-hmm. My dad went to libret Residential School, and mm-hmm. that was another really bad school. And, uh, but again, that's that whole point about getting connected with with elders and knowledge keepers, and and getting connected back to your your ceremonies and like that. That, that that's who we are, where we come from. Mm-hmm. But getting that pride back mm-hmm. because. That residential school just kind of killed it and beat it out of our people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and now we see that resurgence coming back. But what a great segue. Cause this is going to be my last question mm. to you, Duncan. And it's about hope. Mm-hmm. We just, we just talked about in the last half hour or so something that was really devastating to our people, uh, that hurt our people. And that's of course the imposition of the residential school system on our people. But now we learn from the past, we got to move forward. What gives you hope?
0: Oh, it, it's pretty simple. Um, we're telling stories, Perry. We're telling stories the way that our, uh, ancestors, uh, used to tell stories. We have, we have a rich, rich tradition, uh, of storytelling and, and, uh, that, that, uh, we lost our voice for for a period of time we as peoples uh, lost our voice or went to sleep for a little while we'll say mm-hmm. that um you know and um and it's coming back now and that to me i you know as a, as a as a journalist um, I know the power of story. I know that 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 um, that it can it can uh, it expand minds. It can make people care, uh, and and um, and it can change the world. I know stories can change the world, and and we're coming back to a point now where we are telling stories. And so when I see uh, you know young kids on a show like uh, Reservation Dogs. Uh, or Rutherford Falls, you know, whether it's television, uh, when I see these, these, these young kids doing TikTok, uh, y- you know, videos and, and mm. it going viral and a million people watching them when they're dancing or, you know, whether it's, it's traditional dancing or, or whether they're, 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 uh, you know, doing some kind of, uh, See, I'm so old, I don't even know the name of the dances now, but, but hip hop uh, stuff, you know, uh, but, but this, whether it's, it's, uh, beadwork. Uh, you know the, the the and and I see these indigenous uh, beaded baby Yodas. You know, uh, like uh, th- there there are so many ways that our people, uh, our young people in particular, are starting to tell stories mm-hmm. um, and feeling proud in those stories and and um, and reimagining uh, our past, whether it's our traditional legends, uh, you know, uh, or or whether it's it's um, coming up with new ones. You know, that's going to be the real. Uh, the real test, uh, if you take those those rich teachings that we have amongst my people, uh, the Nishnabek, uh, you know, uh, the grandfather teachings, and you mm-hmm. reimagine those for a young indigenous kid uh, living in uh, the the 21st century, that's going to be the test. Are those are those old rich traditions that we have? Are they able to adapt and 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 grow and and help serve our our youth of tomorrow? They're going to do that through story, uh, Perry, and that's what gives me hope when i when i see all these young fantastic storytellers um sharing what, what our ancestors meant us to which is our way of seeing the world and and that's uh that's what gives me hope
1: wow well duncan McHugh, thank you so much for being on the akamemic
0: podcast miigwech uh it's been fun it's it's uh, you you treated me kindly that's i thought you were gonna just go at me
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, just a big thank you. <laughs> a, a thank you. Big watch. And to uh, a big thank you to all of uh, my relatives, all of you listening out there. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. It helps people to find these interviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can find me on social media by searching at Perry We'll be back next month. And until next time, I'm Perry Belgarde. Take a second.